Hey, and welcome to Game Talk, episode 23. I'm your host, Ammon Mion. This week, I'm joined by Connor. Hey, guys. And Michael. Hello. And the first thing I want to talk about um, is the future of Pokemon. So the reason I want to bring this up right now is there are rumors swirling around that um, the new Pokemon for the Nintendo Switch will involve going back to Kanto and implementing and integrating a lot of Pokemon Go features into a mainline Pokemon game. And these rumors are extremely... I, I would say they have... I would say these rumors have like a 99% chance of being true. They're almost completely credible. I wouldn't be surprised that even the day after we record this show, we'll get an official reveal by Nintendo. Really? That soon? Yeah. I, that wouldn't surprise me at all. Um, but online it seems like the reaction to this pokemon game is very mixed um so the rumor titles for this new pokemon on the switch are pokemon let's go pikachu and pokemon let's go eevee obviously nintendo is being smart cashing in on the pokemon go branding right and everybody has a switch these days so well that's the thing like even if, if we just compare raw numbers, like at its peak, I think Pokemon Go had something like something stupid, like 50 million users, which yeah. is just, and what, there are like 10 million-ish switches out right now in the wild, yeah. in people's hands. So if even if they can just tap into a fraction of that Pokemon Go craze, that'd be like insane switch numbers, you know? Yeah, that would be a lot. The thing about the Pokemon um, Go craze, though, was that it died down really quickly. Yeah, but the the reason the Pokemon Go craze died down quickly is because it was ultimately a pretty shallow experience. Like, it was very cool, but it was shallow. So once you kind of did everything, you were done. If they can somehow marry, like, the depth of a mainline Pokemon RPG with, like, the broad social appeal, appeal of Pokemon Go, they'll have created, like, a monster, I think, unlike which we've ever seen in gaming. Right, pretty yeah. Much. Um, I don't know. I'm a little worried, though, because of the... um the really light mechanics of Pokemon Go and a right. online and game. I was actually going to bring up um, the re- reaction online has been very mixed. And granted, these are still rumors, so nothing set in stone, although these are pretty credible rumors. But the rumors have people up in arms, like the mainline, the hardcore Pokemon fans are disgusted by this. Uh, just the, uh, the idea that one of the rumors is catching Pokemon is going to work like in Go now. So yeah, you I like just can't play, imagine that like the Pokeball that take that strips down one of the core tenets of a Pokemon experience, which I think would be terrible. Maybe if it was optional and you could turn it on, that'd be okay. I mean, okay. So if have you guys all played Pokemon Sun and Moon? Yes. So in that game, you could like put out food on your island or whatever, and Pokemon would just show up, and you would have them now. But they still had the classic version, like the classic way of catching Pokemon as well. See, I'd like if there was some combination of that. So, like, it would make all the fans happy. If you wanted the traditional Pokemon experience, you could have that. Or if you wanted to go the Go route, you could have that. I imagine that's more likely. Uh, What I would appreciate is if, like, maybe I could raise my team on my Switch or something. But then if I want to have a battle with somebody, I could do that on my phone or something like that. There's a lot of cool integration they could do, like, if I don't have my Switch on me. If they play their cards right, this could be a very powerful thing. So just going a little deeper into the leaked news, 
This is rumored to be a remake or reimagining of Pokemon Yellow. Yeah, so I was just reading that, and I do have some uh, some reasons to not really believe that's true, because, like, usually all the starters that are available in a game are fairly balanced, right? But, like, you can't take Pikachu and Eevee and say that those two are balanced at all. Like, Eevee has so much more potential. So if this is truly a remake of Yellow, wouldn't you get all three starters near the beginning of the game? I think so, but like you'd also get either Eevee or Pikachu, right? Right, so Eevee would be your starting in Pokemon Go Eevee and Pikachu and Go Pikachu, but I think the starter choice for this game, much like Yellow, won't really matter. Like in in Yellow, you got Pikachu and then you got all three starters and then you could build your team however you wanted. I think this will be something similar. I mean, it just seems like you'd be putting yourself at a huge disadvantage to go Pikachu though, because Eevee has so many different paths you can take um that kind of leads into another question i mean you're basically playing if, a different game at that point if so nintendo is obviously obviously knows the power of generation one and kanto right. and they're tapping into that power and they know that they'll get a lot of the pokemon go fans a lot of the casual pokemon fans who only know the original 151 mm-hmm. they know they can get them back with this game so that leads me to think do you think there's a possibility that this game will only be original 151 because no, I think that I would be a huge mistake. Yeah, I don't see that as likely. They've already got the 3D models made. The um, I, I have to believe that the 3DS models were extremely high, like were too high quality for the 3DS based on just the frame rate in those games. Right, and those those 3D models, I took it as Nintendo sort of future proofing yeah, for like. HD iterations. So I honestly can't imagine it's going to be only 151. That would just be absurd to me. I would hope not. Yeah, but the thing is, like, it is a very never taken a step very, back like that with Pokemon. very divisive thing, though. Like, a lot of people would see that as like a good thing, you know. I don't at least think so. at least the base that they're trying to appeal to, the Pokemon Go base. Nah, because everybody in Pokemon Go was excited when Gen two and three came out. But you can't argue that the peak of the game was with Gen one. I mean, yeah, but I, I really don't see them. I don't see anybody making the argument that fewer Pokemon is an advantage. You know, I I am of the belief that there will be more than the original 151. I just hope, I just have a little nagging feeling that there's a possibility there might not be. But just looking at the facts, the, the Pokemon bank is a thing. And that'd kind of be pointless if you couldn't transfer all your other Pokemon to Let's Go Eevee or Pikachu from the Pokemon right. bank. I mean, people right, who've been playing Pokemon for the past decade have hundreds, if not thousands of Pokemon in their bank, just kind of useless sitting there if it's only the 151. So I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. But it makes more sense to me that it'll it'll do what most, you know, gen numbered Pokemon games do. Most yeah, of the Pokemon the original 151 until the Pokemon League and then it kind of exactly. opens up. Most of the yeah. Pokemon will be from Kanto. Uh, then it opens up. So, like, looking at Leaf Green and Fire Red, do you think they'll do something similar to that? The post-game in that game with the islands and then the different generations added that way? I mean, I can't imagine... I I would really prefer if they just add all of Johto and kind of flip it on, flip gold and silver on their head. That's another rumor for this game, that the post-game is kind of like the inverse of gold-silver, where you finish Kanto, then you can go do Johto, which would be but they amazing. also could have done that on Fire Red and... Uh, fire red and leaf green and they didn't so i don't know i don't have a strong opinion i 
I have no faith at all in Game Freak's ability to make a satisfying post game. Is all I'm gonna say. Yeah, it's really they have more misses than hits. I would say. Yeah, I I don't have any confidence in their ability to make a satisfying game to begin with. So every oh, man, every time of... they get it right is a pleasant surprise for me. The a couple other things uh, regarding the rumors. So apparently you play as a new character and red and blue are involved in the game. And that kind of makes me think this might actually be a sequel to red, blue and yellow, which would be so much cooler. That I would think. be cool. Sort of like they did with Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. Yeah, I think that would be the best case scenario, honestly. I agree. I think that could be cool. So the future of Pokemon, uh, th- this new release on Switch is just a part of that. It's interesting to me, we just came off of Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon, which were like the extensions to Gen 7. So conventional wisdom would tell us that the next games would be... The Gen 4. Gen... Gen, Well, no, no, they would be Gen 8, right? Uh, Because uh, we got Gen 7, and then we got Gen 7.5. And then we got the Gen 3 remakes. Right. No, Gen 3 remakes came That was before... So yeah, uh, I guess we're so we're gonna either, either Gen eight and then Gen, Gen four, four remake makes or Gen seven point five whatever. Uh, they don't seem to be following convention though because, right now. So yeah, so like this just got my brain thinking. What if Nintendo has like this three pronged approach for the future of Pokemon? So like the mainline Pokemon games, like Gen eight is still coming eventually to the Switch. Let's say in twenty nineteen, and then. Prong 2 would be the remix, the next of which being Diamond Pearl Gen 4, right? That needs to be addressed. And then the third pillar could be the Let's Go series that integrates more heavily with Pokemon Go and appeals to like the wider Pokemon audience. Do you think that might be what they're doing? If that's the case, then we would have no, then there's no predicting what Let's Go could be. But Let's Go is for sure a, a Pokemon RPG. Like Nintendo has come out and said, the po- next Pokemon game on the Nintendo Switch will be a mainline RPG game. So right. it will be a fully fledged Pokemon. So I don't know if maybe Let's Go is their future vision of Pokemon as a whole. Yeah, it would be a drastic shift in, at the very least, name, you know? They've yeah, been, so like all future colors. Pokemon games could have the like the Let's Go whatever, like maybe... Uh, well, maybe also- Let's Go to Sinnoh or something for Ruby Sapphire reimagining. Yeah. Or maybe that would be their new branding for remakes, which would make sense. Yeah. And plus, I don't know, Game Freak's not really known for their presentation, I would say. Um, Yeah. Like, just the thought of having, like, a fully 3D, over-the-shoulder, open-world Kanto is, like, incredible to me, but I don't think that's what this game is going to be with Let's Let's Go Pikachu and Eevee. I guess they could possibly do under the Let's Go branding. They could maybe release the different regions separately, but like carry your same character throughout, like let you use your switch as a Pokemon bank sort of. Yeah, because it would be switch games don't save to the cartridge, do they? And that would be a first for Pokemon. Right. They there's a separate save data in your system. So that would be a first for Pokemon, which would mean that they could like interconnect the games even when you're not when you don't have them all plugged in. So maybe like if you're traveling between regions, you have to switch out your cartridge or something. Maybe. Yeah. That's a possibility. 
again, I just don't have a ton of faith in Pokemon to do anything that creative. They've followed the same formula almost to a T for see that twenty. See, that's the thing. They have followed the same formula for two decades. And this, I think, is the first sign that they're doing something different. So even if we don't like the changes, I want to applaud that at least. I think it's exciting that Pokemon's finally evolving, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. I think it's uh I think it has some potential. I'll definitely have an eye on it at E3. I mean, I'll go as far as to say I'm a huge Pokemon fan. I play every single Pokemon gen release. So one way or another, I'm going to buy and play this game. It's just that I hope the Go features aren't kind of like shoved down your throat. Because if they were, I think that would be a huge turnoff to a lot of long-term Pokemon fans. So yeah, and I simultaneously w- hope they're not shoved down your throat, but I want them to be good. I want them to be there because I want them to be good potential. and optional. Yeah. But as I was, I, w- I was just about to say, as we've seen many times in the past, when you kind of shove off your core fans and try to appeal to the mass market, more often than not, it really backfires and you're left in a worse spot than you were before. So let's right. hope they play their cards right. Anyone else got anything else yeah, to say? I don't have anything no, about I think Pokemon. For Pokemon. All right. So we'll hear more in the coming days. I think we'll do another topic once the details are firmed up and Nintendo makes an official announcement, but I just kind of wanted to do address the rumors because they were kind of taking the internet by storm today and yesterday. All right. So moving on to the next topic now. Yeah. Um, Connor, why don't you introduce that? So uh, next we're going to talk about retro gaming uh, in general, uh, collecting uh, what games we like that we've played, um, why people are into it, why indie Games seem to try to copy their nostalgia and everything. So uh, I guess first we should all go through and say our favorite older game. Well, even before we do that, I kind of want to just address like, there's no like hard definition of a retro game, right? I Uh, think the most widely accepted definition is anything pre like 64 era. So like 16 bit, 8 bit stuff. I have a hard time saying the early PS2 is retro now. now. Really? Like the PS2 is almost 20 years old. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I, su- I suppose like the further we move in time, like the threshold for retroness, you know, kind of increases. Yeah, but like when you think when you say retro game to me, a sixteen bit image pops into my head. You know, right? But um, even ukulele tried to go. Yeah, for retro a bit of a is retro anything feel older yeah, than like fifteen years. I want to say right. So. Let's just come to some sort of consensus. Would you say retro for right now would be pre-HD anything? Yeah. I mean, to me, anything more than... Like, I would say the Wii is... I don't know if I call it retro. Yeah. Because I think anything that is two gens ago, like uh, original Xbox is retro, PlayStation 2 is retro. Especially early PlayStation 2, because you're definitely in retro territory then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right, Believe so let's get back. It's kind of hazy. I was just going to say we can go through our favorite retro games. Yeah, so um, I can start that off. I'll, I'll just go ahead and say the first game I started playing, which is Super Mario World. That was where it all started for me. Well, uh, yeah, I think most of us are just going to list off our first games. Those That nostalgia factor probably is, weighs pretty heavily on all of us. Right. Um, I don't know. Mine... 
obviously Super Mario 64 is a huge candidate, but I had a huge affinity for Banjo-Kazooie. I loved those games. Right. Well, I, I can't say the game that I'm currently playing because I also played as a child, but I'm going to talk about that later. I'm going to say, what was it? I think one of the Wild Arms. Wild Arms 2 was probably one of the first games I played. Ooh, boy. I don't think I've ever heard of that. Oh, Wild Arms it was a very popular was, RPG. It's very fairly like underrated it? RPG, JRPG, too. Like, it takes a lot of elements of JRPGs yeah. and flips them on their head, especially the third installment, which I'll talk about later. The second installment was true to its uh, central theme of a wild western kind of anime aesthetic with steampunk elements and demons. <laughs> a really cool aesthetic. That sounds pretty and this, wild. Yeah, it sounds wild. It what, was uh, what PlayStation. Console was that on? Okay, original PlayStation. Wild Ops 2 was PlayStation 1, 3 was early PlayStation 2. So, why do you guys think people are drawn to these games now? Well, I think it's kind of obvious, right? Uh, the main draw for these games is like remembering your childhood. Yeah, I mean, I think that's I it's think nostalgia. that's the obvious draw. But um, I I like to buy a lot of retro games that I never played as a kid recently, and um, so I'm kind of drawn to them for a different reason than nostalgia. Well, I think it's also interesting just to go back and see, like, see what games were like in that era, just to have in your head how to understand how game mechanics and ideas evolved over time. Right, yeah, seeing where you, where everything came from, I think is interesting. Drawing a game's lineage, as it were. And also, just most retro games aren't bogged down by, like, the ex- excess BS that's yeah. in today's games. They're much that's, simpler and more pure, I kind of want to say. That's what I was going to say. I like how simple they are. Like, I like how you can fire up Mega Man and just, you're in the game. You're running and shooting almost instantly. See, and like that simplicity is kind of beautiful because, yeah, the core of what you do is simple, but they extrapolate that to the nth degree and create such interesting and creative things. Right, yeah. And they take, like, they try to do a lot with a little, you know? They don't, there aren't any games really back then that could afford to take a mechanic and (laughs) barely explore it and then throw it away. Like, for instance, Super Mario Odyssey does. Like, that, it's different from a lot of the older games because they, didn't have room on the cartridge, for instance. So if they were going to develop a mechanic, they had to use it as much as possible. Whereas Super Mario Odyssey can afford to bring a mechanic in for a couple of minutes and then say, all right, we did that. We're done with it. It's gone. You never see it again. Right. I kind of wanted to bring up, I get what you mean about having like a yearning for retro games that you never actually played. Because my first console was an N64, so I never had a SNES or NES, never really experienced the 16-bit or 8-bit era. But just being a gamer, I eventually, you know, stumbled upon Shovel Knight and stumbled upon, like, these uh, either remakes or games inspired by games. Right, yeah, Shovel Knight actually recently got me back into retro gaming. Right, and it's just the mechanics of those games are so enjoyable, and uh, it's just... They have a certain aesthetic to them that is very pleasing that you can't get from games today. So it definitely, I think there's an element beyond nostalgia at play when it comes to retro games. Right, I agree. And um, so I used to, uh, I think I've said this on the podcast before, but once upon a time, I so I started on the Super NES, and for a long time I was convinced that there just weren't any good games before that. Like everything was too simple to be any good. The graphics were terrible. Controls were unresponsive. 
But then and, I played Shovel Knight and I saw that they were like comparing it to the original Mega Man games. And I was like, that can't be right. The original Mega Man games had to be like slow and, you know, finicky. Right. And, everything. and then I went back and I played them and they're not. They're amazing. And the old Mario games are amazing. And I was just wrong. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because a lot of games that come out today, they can become dated in as little to like four to five years. Right. But yeah. A lot of these retro games, whether it's timeless, the, yeah, whether it's due to the mechanic or the like the beautiful pixelated art style, endure the test of time much better than games today. Yeah. For like, if you handed me Super Metroid today, I, I mean, if I didn't know better, you couldn't really convince me that it hadn't been made like last year or something, you know, right. By like, you know, uh, by an indie studio, the, the shovel Knight guys or something, you know, yeah. there's nothing about it that like, it, it doesn't show its age. It doesn't look like there was anywhere where they had to cut corners really. And the mechanics don't age too, which is really interesting to me. And I can't quite pinpoint why that is. Maybe it's because of their simplicity. I don't think people chased. Well, I don't think it's that so mu- that they don't age so much as that we only remember the ones that didn't age. Right. No, absolutely. Because um, like, I mean, there are timeless games. Like, I don't know. Halo Three is never going to really get old. I don't think. You know, and that's not that old at this point. Right. It's right. timeless. I'd say it's just that like, I don't know. Games that get old get old fast, and we just forget about them because I, I feel like there are tons of game developers that make decent games chasing some flavor of the month that nobody's going to care about a year from now. And the games were decent, but a couple years from now, we're not going to care and we're not going to want to play them anymore. And see, what's interesting about what you just said, retro games that are made today as kind of like a nostalgia throwback, they're, they take what's best from that era and represent that to us today. So like a lot of the BS mechanics that existed before, like, like spikes for example yeah you. spikes instant killing you like losing three lives and having to restart the entire game those were just mechanics to extend the longevity of a game because that's all they could do back in the day but like times have changed and save files are now a thing and so like and you can af- like a game development is just easier you can put more content on a cartridge now yeah so people who make retro games today they pull from the best elements and in some ways surpass a lot of the mechanics and systems that were in place back in the day, I would say. Oh yeah. If I had to choose between Mega Man and Shovel Knight, I would choose Shovel Knight every day, I think. Yeah. But I love them both and I love like seeing where Shovel Knight came from. Right. And we can just ignore <laughs> Mighty Number no. Nine. Yeah, that's kind of like the opposite. They yeah. totally got what made Mega Man special wrong and I feel yeah, like that's how ukulele ended yeah. up too. Yeah. I think on the spectrum, if like Shovel Knight's on the good end and Mighty Number no. 9's on the bad end, I would say ukulele's like, square in the middle. Yeah, I think A Hat in Time got what ukulele was trying to do, got it right. A Hat in Time or Super Mario Odyssey even. See, Super Mario Odyssey, yeah, it was kind of like a spiritual successor to 64, but it felt it definitely didn't feel like... Retro. It felt like an evolution, you know? So did um, so did I Hat in Time, really. There was no... Uh, 
it didn't really feel retro in any way. Like, I guess I didn't play ukulele. I can't say whether or not it felt so retro. So, ukulele literally just felt like Banjo-Kazooie, except without the interesting level design, and the mechanics <laughs> didn't feel as good. So, without so, the stuff that made them good. <laughs> exactly. So, they it was just trying to be Banjo-Kazooie, but it didn't capture that essence. And that's why it was just kind of like a wet noodle. I feel like that's a little bit of what was wrong with Mighty Number no. 9, too. Well, Mighty Number no. 9 had other problems, right? Like rush development and like unfulfilled I, it, promises from the Kickstarter. It had a Kickstarter weird issue. Campaign. Like the levels were not designed by the same people that the mechanics were designed <laughs> by. Like that, not even in the same studio. For yeah, that's a problem. So yeah, like people were tweaking mechanics and people were tweaking levels with no communication, really. So the levels like clash hard with the mechanics. Like the levels look like they were made for just running and gunning and then in the final game you had to dash to even kill an enemy i think so like you're constantly dashing around these levels that were not designed for you to be able to dash and it was a whole mess. the thing That's about really what no ukulele failed to do is ukulele was made the expectation of people just want another banjo kazooie with all the bells and whistles when in today's age they could have innovated it and it would have been a 10 times better game than it was Right, yeah. The Shovel Knight developers like said they were just giving you another like Mega Man style game, but they don't they didn't really make that. They made a game that mixes Shovel Knight, Super Mario. What they made was what you thought Mega Man was. Like yeah. your your nostalgic image of Mega Man is what they made, I think. They didn't really follow um the like they tried to nail the aesthetic of an NES game as well, but they used some impossible colors. They would um show way more sprites on screen at once than the NES could have. And they did some, I think, shader tricks and stuff at one point, too, that just wouldn't right. be possible back then. Yeah, I was reading about that, too. Like, Shovel Knight would not technically be possible back then. Right. But it just captures the essence, the retro essence of the 16-bit or 8-bit era. Right, but I feel like that so shows well. that there is something to capture there. There is something that that isn't necessarily lost, but isn't common these days. Right. Some simplicity that developers miss. And I think that's what people are looking for in retro games more than nostalgia sometimes. I agree. Because I have no nostalgia for Mega Man. I never played it before, but I still like intend to go through and play through most of the originals. I mean, I had three. nostalgia for Banjo, the Banjo games. And Ukulele was, was one of those games that it's like it feels like Banjo-Kazooie, but it doesn't. It feels like a shallow kind of reimagining of Banjo. See, they didn't. Ju- they just didn't yeah. take inspiration from the right aspects of Banjo. Like, let's look at you know we talk about this a lot, but Sonic Mania took right. all the right inspiration and look at what they did. They it was a retro game, like a throwback, but it also evolved Sonic. It, it built upon those retro mechanics yeah, in a way that those three D Sonics never did. Right, and mark my words, we're gonna get the Sonic Mania of the Sonic Adventure games. This this E three. <laughs> It's that would be happen. wild. It's gonna you made that prediction last it, show, didn't you? It might have boost-style gameplay, but I see it taking nods from the Adventure like, series. To f- that would be great. Although, I, I guess under our definition, Sonic Adventure yeah. 2 would be considered a retro game as well. Yeah, it originally came out on the Dreamcast. Yeah. How crazy. To fully yeah. make a game a retro revival, you have to take what made the previous the game that you're trying to revive great and cut out all the parts that made it that made it hard to play or kind of detracted away from the experience. 
Right, like look at Stardew yeah. Valley. Stardew Valley did that to Harvest Moon. Harvest Moon hard. Lost its way, and then it Stardew Valley is like, oh, here, have all the fun parts. Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting how like a lot of indie developers today are kind of looking at these old games and going, how can I trim the fat and make what was there even better? And we're seeing like a lot of the fruits of that. Like like you said, Stardew Valley, Sonic Mania. Uh, we're getting Bloodstained, Ritual of the Night. I don't know if you guys know about that. It's like a Castlevania. Yeah, spiritual I was say successor. it sounds Castlevania. Yeah, made by the same guy, uh, Iga. Uh, it was kickstarted and... It's coming along and it looks brilliant. We'll see if uh, you know Metroid Prime, the new one. Yeah, takes I'm interested any to see inspiration it. how how they go about that. Although it's being developed by Bandai, right? Is it Bandai Namco? I think. I don't know. I it's not. It's not. Re- it's not retro. Yeah, because retro is busy. Are they still doing Donkey Kong? So, um, I don't know if I mentioned this last week, but the rumor, there's like a very credible rumor going around that they're working on a Star Fox racing game. Yeah, I saw that. So, that's bizarre. I don't think anyone has any nostalgia for that. Well, that never really even existed. That's another thing Nintendo, I feel like, has struggled to make Star Fox a thing, even though they've tried to tap into that nostalgia for the retro style, like... Star Fox 64, R-Wing, like, fly through rings and shoot. Right. Yeah, I, I don't know. They just haven't uh, been yeah. able to capture that. No. Definitely not with the last Star Fox game. What they really need to tap into is Star Fox Adventures. And, you know. The game that was never that supposed back. to be a Star Fox game. <laughs> so, like, I have a weird fondness for that game because that was my first Star Fox game. But Who developed that again? Was that Retro? I don't remember. I know it was never supposed to be a Star Fox game. Star Fox was tacked on at the end. It was supposed to just be a 3D platformer like called Dinosaur Planet or something. It was so cool. It was so much fun. <laughs> that's your uh, that's your nostalgia. Yeah, it probably actually sucks. Let's be honest. All right. You guys have anything else to say about retro games? SNES Classics and NES Classics are going to be back in stores uh, late late June. Hashtag. Oh, NES that. as well? Yeah, NES as well. <laughs> I bet all of the scalpers who, you know, hoarded, yeah, like bought all of them on themselves. day one and sold them on eBay for 20 times the price are feeling pretty bad right about now. Yeah. So for our last topic, we're going to do something a little unconventional. Woo-woo. I kind of want to keep talking about E3 leading up to Woo-woo. E3. Uh, <laughs> just keep the hype train going just because. So can we do stuff that's already been announced and some some predictions? Sure. Uh, whatever E3 stuff we want to talk about. It just seems this year in particular, like stuff's leaking out faster and faster. And like there seems to be more chatter, like more hype than usual that this E3 really is going to be something pretty special. And if, you know, Pokemon is anything to go by, like this leaked, you know, about a month from E3. And we know that Pokemon's not even going to be their focus during E3 smashes. So that's just Nintendo alone is having such a smash hit year, you know, with two juggernauts releasing. But yeah, some other stuff has come to light. Uh, Bethesda revealed uh, Rage 2, announced it after it was leaked by Walmart, uh, of all things. They were really snarky about it, too. The entire Rage Twitter account was poking fun at it. 
So the, Rage getting a sequel was, is so weird to me. I never thought that game, like it was cool for what it was, but it never struck me as like something that sold really well. Or It did sell really well, apparently. It did it, yeah. Well, it must have. It's getting a sequel. But um, I, I watched the trailer and it seems like a complete, it doesn't seem like the first Rage at all. It seems really wacky and like Borderlands-esque, I would say. Isn't it being developed by uh, the Mad Max guys? I can't remember who it's being developed by, honestly. I think it's being done by the same guys who did the Mad Max game, which was really, really good. Another thing that actually just got revealed today, Battlefield 5. We knew there was a new Battlefield game coming, obviously, but now we know what it is, and it's definitely... we're. Certainly going to see gameplay at E3. I know, Mike, you're a big Battlefield guy. I don't know if you had more to say about that. Yeah. It seems like we're going back to the future with Battlefield because if they were going to make it in World War II, they were going to name it like 1944 or something. So this is probably a sequel to 4. Right. Which okay. Is interesting because a lot of people really like 4. Yeah. 4 was a really good game, and I'm excited to see them go back to the kind <laughs> it of had a semi-futuristic. They actually uh, did but I could well. see them cleaning that up and making a really good game. It's. Yeah, they supported that I've game. I've kind two of been getting the vibe, just like gamers in general are a little sick of shooters set in like a futuristic setting and kind of want to go back to the older style warfare with like World War One and Two. Um, I don't know if that's starting to shift again. You know, like because we got uh, Battlefield One and then World War Two, and those games seem to do really well. Um, and the Call of Duty games before that, at least. I mean, weren't really as hyped as they as Call of Duty usually is, you know, like Advanced Warfare, Infinite Warfare, stuff like that. So I wonder if now is the time to kind of switch back into that mode. It's just an observation. I think it's interesting. The thing about Battlefield is I think Battlefield 5 will actually be, if it's going to be between 4, it's going to be between 4 and the 2142. So it's going to be... Like mech warfare yeah, at this I don't point. Know if- at the end, because Battlefield 4 multiplayer surprisingly had a storyline of sorts, especially with their last couple maps that they released in the Battle Pat, or what was it called? Season Pass or whatever. It kind of set up the start of 2142 with the Pan Asian Collision Coalition and stuff from 2142 being featured in the end of Battlefield 4. So, you think so Battlefield 5 logically. It would continue the story and stick you right before twenty one forty two, and the ice. I mean, but let's be real. Who really cares about Battlefield's story? You know what I mean? Yeah, it's all about the multiplayer. But the thing is, we're gonna get some. Yeah, the story affects the context of the multiplayer. So speaking about multiplayer, we already kind of know that Call of Duty is going to put in a battle royale in their new Call of Duty game. Um, That's disgusting. Well, I mean, it's so predictable though. And it's actually, the disgusting part to me is that the rumor is they're putting uh, the Battle Royale in, in lieu of a campaign. So there's going to be no campaign and a Battle Royale mode. And a- Again, it's a, it's a Black Ops game. And really, those were, those campaigns, at least the first two, were really good. Can't vouch for the third one because I heard the third one was just... So do you think that um, Battlefield's going to go the same route? It wouldn't surprise me. I don't think Battlefield's going to release a Battle Royale. They would have announced it by now. I think EA could see the writing on the wall and that competing with Fortnite is 
a hard thing oh, but to do. Fortnite's definitely going to see some competition, and that's going to start at this E3. Just ask Cliffy B. Yeah. Oof. Oh, that's another thing. Yeah. Radical Heights uh, yeah, tried. Business. Yeah, his entire company went yeah, down, he and closed he kind of posted some concept design notes that he had for games, like, swimming around in his head. And some of them sounded really interesting. Yeah, and that's... I wouldn't have trusted him to make it, I don't think. Honestly, I mean, this was... I don't know, Lawbreakers was very much not an interesting game. Lawbreakers was a lot of fun to play, but the problem was it just costed too much for what it kind of presented. So I played the beta, was it I had exactly? a lot of fun. I'm not even sure what... It was an Overwatch it knockoff, was, wasn't it? Uh, okay. No, it was like an arena-style shooter with cool abilities and very low gravity sections. Like, it had some cool mechanics and cool ideas, and... Hmm. Wasn't marketed it just very well. Cost it too much. It wasn't marketed well, and it just had a too high of a price tag. If it was a free to play game, I would have picked it up immediately. So another interesting E three uh, topic. Uh, going back to Smash Bros. Do you, did you guys see how that they're going to be revealing the game? No, I didn't. So they're going to have a treehouse event, uh, a tournament actually, and they invited all. Um, like I think four famous Smash 4 players and four famous Melee players. Oh, wow. To it, which really kind of piques my interest. You know, yeah, like, those like are they're... two very different style of Smash games. Yeah, and, the and they're trying they to say that they're going to make everybody don't happy. Get along. The fact that they did that makes me think that they've come up with something potentially that would make both parties interested in the game, which would be huge. I mean, the Melee communities humongous and, and that it, you absolutely know, it, confirms it's a new game it's not and, a remake oh yeah it's definitely going to be a new game new mechanics and everything um but the melee community after melee came out they were not interested in any other smash game and to their credit they to their through their passion and you know their love for the game melee is still a thing a very relevant thing and there's still several major melee tournaments every year so I, I I'd be interested to see what if if they do the impossible, and they make this game pleasing for melee fans, could that potentially kill melee? I don't know. Um, and I think I mean melee is bound to die eventually once everyone reaches the top skill level and there's no more innovation in the scene. I mean, you say that, but it's been like what fifteen plus years, and there's still innovation, which is just mind boggling to me. Eventually, they're going to run out. And when they do, they're going to move games. The thing about Brawl and Brawl scene was that Brawl didn't have anything going for it. Everyone jumped ship off of Brawl. Melee just had these weird inconsistencies and bugs and exploits in the engine that allowed that innovation. Well, Brawl just didn't have the framework for people to care about it. Like, it, it was a party game first and a fighting game. And it had a lot of really. bad mechanics. Yeah, like tripping, for instance, really, you know. Just ruined the yeah, balance. Yeah, but I think Nintendo proved that they learned le- their lesson with the release of Smash 4. Like, they took all of that nonsense yeah. out. And f- Smash 4 is still, like, a huge competitive fighting game, you know. It's just, it doesn't have the same mechanical style and nuances that Melee does. And unless a lot of those things come back, I don't think we're ever going to see the Melee community move on. But it is certainly interesting to see Nintendo making a concerted effort. Like, uh, I don't think until now they've ever acknowledged the melee community like ever 
they always like for their events and stuff they get the smash 4 players the fact that half of the attendees are melee pros and half are smash 4 pros really says something and i'm interested to see what that event's going to be like i agree so uh I have one more uh, pretty bold prediction, and I have some evidence kind of gathered here for it. Uh, I already mentioned it earlier, but I think uh, either Sonic Adventure 3 or Sonic Adventure Mania will be announced at E3. Wow, Sonic Adventure 3. So I, I have some evidence here. Absurd. My, my first bit of evidence is uh, a poll that Sega posted up. Um, they did a similar thing when they were uh, trying to gauge interest in Shadow the Hedgehog. But they put a poll up, and it was like, which uh, which Sonic, fe- which old Sonic feature would you want to see make a return the most? And it was like, um, playing as different characters, a customizable character, uh, I forget, um, competitive multiplayer, or Chow Gardens. And Chow Gardens won by a, a country mile. So I think that's significant, first of all. So I'm 100% certain something's going to be announced soon with Chow how, how recent was this poll? Like a week or two. Oh, so like it's just going to be an announcement that we're not going to see anything. Eventually. I'm not convinced. Shadow the Hedgehog was nearly done by the time they started doing this stuff. It was announced. So they they completed a- Shadow the Hedgehog, and then they made a poll asking if people wanted Shadow the Hedgehog because they knew people wanted it. They just wanted it to like it was just an excuse to drum up buzz. I see. Okay. So, so my you next- mentioned Sonic Adventure Mania. That would be pretty smart if they like capitalized on Mania because that's got a lot of goodwill. Right. Uh, so my next uh, my next uh, bit of evidence is that they posted um, some concept art of original Chow on their Twitter recently. Oh, it's definitely happening then. But but my third and most damning piece of evidence is uh, a collaboration between Sonic the Hedgehog and Puma, the shoe company. Why is that? Why uh, is because that? Sonic Adventure Two came out with a um, Sonic partnering with Soap Shoes. Wow, that would be absolutely insane, and, and I, I believe I never have seen that coming. Yeah. Those three pieces of evidence, I am, I am very certain that we will get uh, a Sonic Adventure style game out of well, E3. You, what do you do if we don't? If I don't, yeah, uh, cry probably. I guess. Hmm. I'm not. I'm not willing I'm, to eat my shirt like you are, Ahmed. I said that at one point. I forget for for what. It ended up it was, being true. It so. ended up being true. Yeah, yeah. It was for E three last year. Yeah, but yeah, but I'm I'm pretty certain this evidence is pretty convincing to me. You know, I kind of I want to believe you, but I also kind of think you might just be like connecting dots that you hope are there, blinded by your irrational love for Sonic. I don't know. The Sonic we'll Twitter's see. never mentioned Chow before, and they did. Uh, they did a Chow for Mother's Day as well. Well, we're getting closer and closer, so. We'll I'm going to we'll make see. another uh, bold prediction as well. Uh, we're not going to see anything interesting other than a trailer that makes us go, what, for Death Stranding? I yeah, guarantee I, you if we're that. not going to see any gameplay until at least 2020. No. I feel like if they show Death Stranding again, it has to be gameplay at this point. Like, it's, enough is enough, you know? Like, they've already given us weird trailers, like, three times. <laughs> Kojima's a sly fox. He doesn't care. He'll just reveal what he wants, and he's going to show us another trailer that's going to make no sense until we really I mean, dig into it. 
Sony came out and said their E3 will be centered around deep dives, deep dives regarding four of their worldwide studios games. And those four games are The Last of Us 2, Death Stranding, Ghost of, Ghost of Tsushima, and Spider-Man. So deep dive implies to me gameplay. So yeah, I agree if there's no that. gameplay, I mean, I'd be pretty upset. Or it could be a deep dive into a trailer. I don't know. And I swear if I see a trailer... Well, we'll see. You know, Kojima. Kojima is one of the few individuals that can literally do whatever he wants and not face any repercussions for it. Yeah, so. Kojima's an enigma. He's hard to crack, and when you crack him, you just get more confused than when you started. I think that's an yeah. accurate statement. But yeah, I think I think it'd be kind of cool to just ongoing in the weeks leading up to E3, just have a little segment like this, just talking about news that comes out and hype and expectations and predictions and just have a little fun with that yeah i agree as long as you can get the episodes out before e3 yeah working on that um okay so let's end the show and uh talk about what we've been playing i have been playing an arcade game called killer queen have either of you heard of this i have not nope so at the starport arcade in morgantown there is a machine there called Oh my Killer, god, is Killer that Queen. that 10 player game? Yes. I love that game. I didn't know what it was called. Oh. So, this is uh, a new sort of new-ish sort of arcade game that's been pop- popping up in arcades all over the country and it's super fun and super super popular and it's free to play too. You don't have to spend any quarters or tokens. Um so you just go there with a group of your friends. Is it always free? Yes. Okay, I only ever go to Starport uh, when they're doing their free game nights. It's I didn't always realize. free. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, so the idea of the game is that it's a 5v5 game. So if you don't have 10 people, the remaining slots are filled in by AI. But each team has one queen and four workers. Um, so it's like a bee-themed kind of game, right? Um, so the queen and the workers. So the queen has the ability to attack and to attack workers and the other queen. There are three objectives in the game, three ways to win, three ways to lose, right? So one way to win is to kill the other person's queen. So if the queen dies, each queen has three lives. So if you kill the other player's queen three times, your team wins the game. Um, Conversely, the worker's job is to pick up like these little food pellet things and bring them back to your home base. And if you collect, I think, 10 or 15 of those or whatever... Yeah, it's a big you, you win the game. I um, thought that was the only way to win. I didn't know you could kill the queen to win. Nope. Uh, I did not understand the rules very well last time I was there, but I, lo- I had a ton of fun playing. Yep, that's one way to win. And the third and final way to ga- win the game, on the very most bottom level of the map, there is a snail. Well, not necessarily on the bottom. Somewhere on the map, there is a no, it's, snail. It's in the middle, isn't it? The, um, yeah, are there multiple on the, maps? So, yes, there are multiple maps. Somewhere okay. in the map is a snail in the center of a platform, right? And the workers can jump onto the snail and ride it to the other side of the screen. If the snail gets to, if you jump in a snail and ride it all the way to your uh, goalpost, let's say, you win the game. So this game is a really frenetic, strategic strategic juggle between all of these things. It requires a lot of teamwork, obviously. Um, But like having these three ways to win the game means that the game is always moving. It's always interesting. There's always a new point of focus, always a new objective. And there's always a way to counter too. So like, let's say um, 
let's say uh, your queen only has one life. Your um, so your your queen starts playing more defensively. Maybe only attacks workers, avoids the enemy queen, while your workers try to uh, focus on just filling up your base. You know, so like just depending on the circumstances of the game, what you what is in your best interest to do might change, and I think that's super interesting. Right. It's also an excellent arcade cabinet. It has like a cup holder in it, a bunch oh, of cup yeah, holders. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the cabinet's it, very cool. It's brilliantly it's like in the middle of Starport, so it's, it's like yeah, it's attracting brilliantly a ton of attention. Designed. Yeah, and it at it least has two more, screens, so one least, for each team, right? And at least in Morgantown, it's free too. So, right, it's, it's amazing. So it's such an incredibly fun game. Uh, I was blown away by it. Just like how simple it seems at first glance, and then just the level of strategy that can actually go into it was brilliant. Yeah, it's my favorite game at the uh, at the arcade by far. All right, uh, you want to go next, Connor? Uh, yeah, sure. So um, I've been playing Earthbound recently, uh, an RPG on the Super NES. Uh, I think it's Mother 3, isn't it? Do you guys know? Uh, no, not 3, right? Is it uh, 2? 2, I believe. Okay. It's one of the Mother games, and it's the only one that made it to the Earthbound US, and two. it didn't perform. Okay, it didn't perform very well because um, it was marketed very poorly. Uh, that's my theory, at least. But uh, there are a lot of people who disagree on why Earthbound didn't sell well. But it's really fun. It's uh, it's on the Super NES Classic, so I've been playing it a little bit. And it's um, I started playing it because I saw that uh, it inspired Undertale, which I like a lot. And uh, I can definitely see the inspiration. It's a really wacky RPG. It takes place in modern times, which is kind of a, a way to turn the genre on its head a little bit. And you just play as a kid going around and like you start out by fighting stray animals and stuff. And you move on to as, fighting as like gangsters. Do. And then and it's turn-based combat. And you I imagine you move on to fighting monsters. I'm not very far into the game yet. But it's it's wacky. I hear Earthbound is a very emotionally effective affecting game. Have you come across anything like that I, yet? I'm not far enough in for that, I don't think. Are you invested in the story at all? Vaguely. <laughs> Mm, okay i mean enough so that i want to keep playing it and i don't like turn-based rpgs that much so you play as ness right yeah okay i mean you can name him he doesn't have a set name but it is ness from smash bros gotcha okay the rest of it i don't really know i don't i i haven't even found any of the companions yet at the beginning of the game they make you name a bunch of people so and is i haven't it, is even it, run into them is it turn-based or how does that work it is turn-based yeah you walk around the map and you see monsters moving around and you can sneak up behind them to get like a sneak attack round or they can sneak up behind you and they get a sneak attack round but uh from then on it's just uh your basic turn-taking rpg you don't assign stats it's more like pokemon where like when you level up your stats get assigned for you okay and uh, yeah, you pick up teams like people leave and join your party and you just kind of wander around getting into fights and trying to figure out where you're supposed to go next. Sweet. Yeah. Um, Michael. So I've been playing uh, Wild Arms 3. I, I said I'd talk about this later and now I am. So it's probably the highlight of the entire series because the game itself is a JRPG made by people who seem to have never touched a JRPG in their lives. So it takes a lot of like, oh, JRPGs do this, this, and this, and throws them out the window. You play as four characters and four characters only. They only have one equipable item for each of one of them, but it's all upgradable. You can avoid encounters. Hmm. 
Is that a good idea, though? Because won't you be under-leveled if you avoid encounters? Oh, eventually you'll run out, and the encounter- there's enough encounters in the game that you'll, wow. you'll still get a ton of encounters, but you can avoid them to an extent. Everything in that game is really, like, Western-themed. There's an anime intro every time you load the game that changes. <laughs> that doesn't seem very Western. That's Yeah, that's fairly it's, Eastern. It's as in, like, Wild Western-themed. Oh, okay. The entire oh, theme okay. is Wild West, and the music even fits the Cowboys, that. yeah. Yeah. Cowboys, Dying Planet, Guns. <laughs> huh. A cowboy RPG it's, on a yeah. Dying Planet. I mean, that's that's an anime trope, so. It's very I see it being good. thematic, because there's some steampunk thrown in there for good measure. The dragons are giant mon- robotic monstrosities. <laughs> hmm. uh, it's It's crazy. The soundtrack's really good. Like, as as you should expect of a JRPG. Like, it's probably one of the best factors, because even though some of the tracks are awful or average on their own, they all fit into that Central Wild West theme so well that the entire soundtrack just meshes together. Hmm. So what platform was it originally It was on? originally on PS2, but I think it got a re-release on PS4 via PSN. Hmm, okay, interesting. And I wouldn't bother if it's playing on PS4, I might check it out. I wouldn't bother playing anything past Wild Arms 3 because 4 and Went 5 completely threw out the traditional turn-based battle system for like a hex battle system and completely threw away the entire soundtrack idea. You never throw away a turn-based battle yeah, system. Yeah, they just I threw it away for people need to learn that lesson. It really well, we'll see with Pokémon Let's Go. Yeah. I have not played four or five, <laughs> and I don't think I will because I've read up on the mechanics and they don't sound good. I need to go back and play two though. All right. Well, the game you just described sounds fun. It's a though, really good, so. underappreciated, and underplayed RPG. Right I've on. been streaming it recently, so. Um. Okay. So I think that'll do it for this episode. Hopefully, by the time the next episode airs, we'll get an official Pokemon announcement and kind of dissect and dive into that. Yeah, that'd be nice. And we'll probably have more E3 stuff to discuss, too. But until then, thank you guys for listening, and I'll talk to you next week. Bye.